This morning, we're going to go back to our study. Uh, those of you who missed any sermons on this, uh, please take time to watch them on our Facebook page. So, so let's go. I got a lot to say today, so I, I'm, I don't think I will finish, but uh, I'll try to get as far as I can. So um, we've been in Exodus, uh, preaching in Exodus through Exodus for like three years now, almost. You guys notice that? Almost three years. This is the third year. I started with the end of Genesis, right, with Joseph, how, how the Israelites got to, do you remember that? How the Israelites got to Egypt in the first place. And it's been almost three years. I feel like we're in the desert, like seriously. <laughs> when is this going to end? Like, <laughs> and we're only in chapter 13. There's like 40-something like chapters in Exodus. So, um, and all throughout this journey and all throughout this study, uh, throughout this story that we're trying to follow in Exodus, we've been learning more and more about the character of God and the salvation that he brings. I don't know if you guys noticed that. I hope so. That's the point, right? If you, all you're getting from this is, oh, it's Prince of Egypt. No. <laughs> Th that's what we're learning here. Character of God and the salvation that he brings. And I've said this over and over again, that the story of the exodus of the Israelites, and I would say the story of the Israelites as a nation, it serves as a direct reflection of God's people today. It's direct. If you, if you see the applications from the doctrines, from the story that we've been learning, you'll see that's, that's us. Right? We're enslaved to slavery. Remember I said that? They can't get out of that mindset of being enslaved. Even when they got to the wilderness after being rescued, they were still enslaved mentally. They still, had, they still brought with them their gods instead of just worshiping the one God. So all these, all these applications, if, if you're really focused and paying attention, you'll see it's a reflection of us. None of us can say here, oh, those Israelites, they're a bunch of ingrates. They don't. No, that, that's us every day. Right? So, um, at the same time, this story shows us how God deals with his people, despite who they are. Kept them. And he should have just cut them off. Right? So, our study of Exodus, really, is a study of, um, it's called the, the major doctrines of the Christian faith. Uh, those of you who know your systematic theology, that's what I'm feeding you all these three years. You've been, you've been taken in systematic theology in the form of a story, right? And we do it that way because if I was to give systematic theology sermons, okay, those people who are always awake, they, they would even fall asleep. It's, it's that boring to people. But God works in different ways. So even in the story of Exodus, he's feeding us these Major doctrines of the Christian faith. And again, if you know your systematic theology, we saw in Exodus a primer on hamartiology. What's hamartiology? Study of what? Sin. Right? This is a study of sin and God's judgment of sin. That's the Greek word for sin, hamartia. So um, that's one thing that we've learned here. The sin, study of Pharaoh's sin, and not just Pharaoh's, Israel's, right? and, and God's judgment of it. So that's one aspect of systematic theology. The other 
uh, aspect of systematic theology that Exodus has been teaching us is on soteriology. Study of what? Salvation. How God saves. Right? Now, I know some of us are sitting here, ah, I already know that. Saves by grace through faith. There's more to it. Right? Exodus is showing us that. How? How does Exodus show us the study of salvation through the display of God's election? What did he do to the Israelites when the plagues came? The Israelites were always kept safe. They were always set apart, right? Salvation is like that. God chose a people for himself and set them apart. And we're going to learn that in this chapter as well. Um, Exodus uh, taught us another aspect of soteriology, which is the substitutionary atonement part of soteriology. Did you know that the reason why you were saved because somebody took your place? A lot of us, yes. Right? Exodus shows us that through the Passover where God uses sacrificial lamb and we're going to see it again here in this next chapter, right? Um, uh, through our study of Exodus, we always learned about the communion of the saints, why it's so important to congregate weekly as a church to preach and teach and sing of what? The salvation of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of this whole service. Exodus taught us how to uh, remember, right? The remembrance through what? Through the Passover, through the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's how remembrance is essential to sustain our faith. It's a tool to teach our children how God saves the purpose for God's uh, salvation. Okay. So as we move into this chapter, this next chapter, chapter 13, the narrative of Exodus is again about to teach us another pillar of soteriology, another pillar of God's salvation, and this time is the doctrines of redemption and sanctification. We don't like the S word, right? For most Baptists, that the S word, we don't like that. We like to focus on the justification part and then glorification. We somehow skip the middle. But it's funny why, why we skip the middle. We're, we're right in the middle right now. But we keep skipping the middle. We keep going, I'm just looking forward to that day. Yeah, that day's going to come. Don't worry. But right now we're here. <laughs> so we need to focus on that. So this chapter is about to teach us that. What is the meaning or what is the importance of this pillar of soteriology or pillars of soteriology namely the doctrines of redemption and sanctification so as we look at it in this chapter remember the greater context as to why these doctrines need to be taught and learned and also uh, remember to begin with right and it's in the title what's the title of this series this this mini series that we're in preparing for the promised land all of the things that God is exhorting his people to remember and to do from the Passover celebration to the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the consecration of the firstborn, all of these things are meant to teach, they're meant to disciple the people of Israel to live or to learn how to live under the rule of God and to continue to strengthen their faith in God. If you know your Bible, from the start, from, from Genesis 3, after the fall, God has been in, on this mission to get people to believe in him again, right? Because the, the reason why the first human beings fell 
was because they weren't just listening to God. They listened to somebody else. Who was that? Satan, right? And they believed him. <laughs> That's why they ate the forbidden fruit. And after that, God could have just said, let's just start over. You don't want to listen to me? Fine. But no, God, in his grace, in his mercy, have been on this mission to have people to, to once again trust me, trust in God, to get them to trust in God. Right? If you follow the story from Abraham all the way to where we're at right now, it's God getting people to trust him. Right? And in doing so, showing how faithful he is. Because what? Every promise that he made has been fulfilled so far. Right? Took 400 years for the Israelites to get out of Egypt, but it was accomplished. Now, in the greater spiritual uh, context, these doctrines are pointers to our, that's why I say it's a reflection of us. It's a pointer to our salvation through faith. These doctrines not only show us how to live under God's rule, but also to always remind us how we were saved. Right? And we're going to see it over and over again in this chapter and throughout the book of Exodus. God, through these feasts, through these um, uh, uh, you know, celebrations, is always a pointer back. Remember? Remember how I saved you? Remember in Egypt? In fact, if you heard on the, um, the video, that's what the, one of the panelists said, right? That even the Jews in concentration camps about to be gassed, right? They're still thanking God. God, thank you for saving us from slavery in Egypt. They're not looking at their present situation and saying, God, where are you? But what's feeding their hope is that what happened in Egypt. Go back there. There has to be some kind of significance to that, Right? And I think that um, if you miss the spiritual aspect of God's salvation in the Exodus story, and, and, and if all you see in the Exodus story is uh, freedom from oppression, freedom from tyranny, if that's all that we see, we're missing the whole point of the whole story. Because when we're in a gas chamber, we're not going to go look back to 2,000 years ago talking about God, thank you for saving me. Meanwhile, I'm about to be gassed to death. That means there's something else that these Jews are looking forward to, even though they're about to die. And what's feeding that hope is looking back. Looking back at the Exodus story. Looking back how God saved them. And that's what the panel in that video missed, the spiritual side of it. Uh, let me quote Jordan Peterson. He was the guy that uh, responded to... Um, the panelists that brought up that, that Jewish, uh, how the Jews were praying to God in the, in the gas chamber. Uh, Peterson ended the section by saying this. I think it makes sense for people to believe in the fundamental ascendance of the spirit that leads us from slavery under all conditions. And then he said, to not have faith in that is really in some sense to lose faith in life itself. In the conditions of a camp, what do you have to have faith in? And he said, just to live. Short. That's short of what the other guy, the other panelist is talking about. 
because he's talking about just living physically to be saved from the death camps. And same with the, same with the, um, the Israelites, right? Because for them, to get out of Egypt is enough. But to God, it's not, right? But to God, the purpose of getting them out of Egypt is not just to get them out of there, but for them to trust him always, right? It's not enough. If, if, if our view, and I was saying, saying this in uh, Sunday school, if our view of God's goodness is that he can help us get through the day and he helps us uh, overcome sickness and he helps us, um, you know, keep our jobs and, you know, protect us in our travels and uh, this new COVID that doesn't hit us, if that's, if that's our view of God's salvation, then we're not seeing the whole picture, right? What if you get hit by COVID? This new one, what do they call it? Some crazy name, some... Right? This new COVID, it's supposed to be, you know, worse. What if you get hit by that? Does that mean that God was not faithful? Does that mean that God was, didn't, you know, do what he promised to save you? No, right? Because it's something else that God is teaching these, these Israelites and us through the story of Exodus, something bigger. Right? Freedom from slavery as far as the Israelites are concerned, is only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to understanding chapter 13 and understanding God's salvation. It's the tip of the iceberg. So this next set of instructions we're going to take a look at this morning, chapter 13, is again rooted in God's rescue of the Israelites from Egypt. Okay? It always points back there. Um, and we will see that in the text. question is, why? What is God's purpose in all of this chapter, okay, in chapter 13? What is his purpose? What is trying to, what message is he trying to send? So let's take a look. Verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses. So keep that in mind. Who's speaking here? God. He's giving a command to Moses, right? The Lord said to Moses, what? Consecrate to me. All the firstborn, whatever is, in the fir is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Sound familiar? Yes. That's the same plague that hit Egypt. I'm going to take all the firstborns of man and beast, mine. So God is telling Moses, consecrate them to me. Set them apart for me. Both man and beast is supposed to be offered to the Lord. And then you skip to verse uh, 3 to 10, and all of a sudden, we're reading something else, right? Can we, can we look at 3 to 10? After the Lord said that to Moses, consecrate uh, to me all the firstborn men and beasts, Moses said to the people in verse 3, Remember this day in which you came out of, from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this or from this place. And then he said, no leavened bread shall be eaten. Well, what does it have to do? If you go back chapter 12, when God gave instructions to Moses uh, regarding Passover and unleavened bread, okay? If you go back to chapter 12, let's go back to chapter 12. I want you guys to see this. Uh, this is where I spent like three days. I'm like, what, the, what does this mean? In the Passover, okay, 12 verses 1 all the way to... 
20. 1 to 20. God's giving all these instructions. Get a lamb, keep it for four days. You know, once he's four days, you know, you're supposed to kill it, cook it, eat it, wipe the blood on your doorpost. And then uh, for seven days after that, no unleavened bread. Right? Those were the instructions. Look at how Moses received all the instructions and what he said to the people of Israel. Verse 21, then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, go select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Exactly what God told him to do. So how come in 13, God said, consecrate to me all firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast is mine. And then Moses comes back to the people of Israel and says, no unleavened bread. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Right? Is it just me? Do you guys, do you guys get why? I'm kind of like, Perplexed here? Because it doesn't make sense. 3 to 10 is about unleavened bread. And then all of a sudden, 11 to 16, he decides to continue with the instructions to consecrate firstborn. Why is it like that? So, if you've been here long enough, you know I ask a lot of questions when I'm studying. Right? You should too. You know, you should just, just read it and just say, oh, okay, cool. That's the way it was. I asked a lot of questions. Um, for this one, I asked three questions. And I'm gonna, we're, we're going to take them up one by one. First question I asked from this uh, chapter. What does it mean to consecrate something to the Lord? What does that mean? Second, why are the instructions for the Feast of Unleavened Bread right in the middle of the instructions for the consecration of the firstborn or the redemption of the firstborn? It's different. There's a consecration, and then there's a redemption. Why is the Feast of Unleavened Bread right smack in the middle? And lastly, why firstborn? You know why I asked that, right? I'm firstborn. Who is firstborn here? Right? Did you read what happened to the firstborn? Did you, did you, did you read it? The firstborn was compared to a donkey. That's what it says. Or a, what, what we call it in English, the other name for donkey, the, the jackass. Am I that? Because <laughs> it, it was compared to a donkey, right? And it says there too, okay, it, and we're, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's just interesting how it says, get a, don get a donkey, okay? You can use a donkey, but you have to redeem the donkey. How, how do you redeem the donkey? You sacrifice a lamb. So you redeem the donkey. If you don't sacrifice a lamb, you break the donkey's neck. And then, right after that, it says, firstborn, you have to redeem. So that means if they don't redeem their firstborn, they're supposed to kill it? Think about that. And that's why, for me, it's like, why firstborn? Why can't it be the second? The middle child. They're the ones who's always causing trouble. Right? <laughs> the middle child syndrome. Right? And my brother, my brother has that like black sheep kind of cloud over him. He, he always thinks that I'm the one, the black sheep of the family. It's the middle child, right? Why not the middle child? Why firstborn? So those are the three, three questions. First, what does it mean to consecrate? Second, why are these instructions for the bread in the middle? And why firstborn?
Why are you picking on the firstborn, God? So let's answer the first one. King James. The English word used for consecrate is sanctify. Or in the NLT, the word for consecrate is to dedicate. That's why you dedicate your child, your children, to dedicate. In the original Hebrew, the word for consecrate is the word kadash, which means to set apart, be made holy. Oh, okay. Firstborn, it's all of a sudden, oh, <laughs> set apart. But it's not just the firstborn that's set apart, right? Right? The firstborn is the one that has to be redeemed, but all the first to open the womb, not just firstborn to be redeemed, but the one, every, every firstborn, man and beast, open the womb, is to be set apart for God, made holy. Same word was used in Genesis 2.3. What is, in, what is it saying in Genesis 2.3? Set apart for me the Sabbath day. Make it holy. So God instructs Moses, set apart all firstborn from both man and beast for the Lord. What's the significance of this instruction for the Israelites within the narrative and for us today? Now, within the Exodus story, this is not the first time God claimed the nation of Israel as his own son. So when he's saying to Moses, set apart, consecrate firstborn for me, he's referring to the nation of Israel, not just the first to open the womb. Not just that. And we're going to see it as, we, as the story unfolds. When God commanded Moses to perform his miracles before Pharaoh, okay, this is what God commanded Moses to do. Exodus 4, 22 to 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus, the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I'll kill your firstborn son. Right? So in a way, God's first statement to Moses is a statement of claim. Okay? It was a statement of claim that was rooted in the salvation that he gave. Again, notice the placement of this Verse. This verse comes right after the instructions for who is allowed to take the Passover meal and who's not. Right? At the end of chapter 12. So in those instructions, God made, made clear those, oh, that those only who would co covenant themselves with him through the covenant of circumcision would be considered as part of the covenant nation of Israel. So when he's saying, set apart for me all those who covenanted. That's what he's saying. All those who covenanted to the nation, because Israel is my, is my firstborn. Now, in those instructions, God made clear, right? That though only those who would covenant through the covenant of circumcision, whether they be original part of the nation of Israel or they're the, or foreigners or slaves, as long as you covenant with God, you're part of the nation. Right? And if you were to backtrack further, who was originally included? Only those who trusted and obeyed God to the observance of the first Passover meal. They were the only ones who were included first. Right? In other words, those people who God saved from the 10th plague are the ones who are originally included. So after you identify, right? So after identifying who is part of the covenant of the nation of Israel, what did God do? God claimed them for himself. Again. He already made the claim to Pharaoh. 
Now he's claiming it again, this time, to Moses. He's telling Moses, tell them they're now mine. Right? Tell them they're for me. He's identifying the nation of Israel, not just the firstborn of Israel. And again, we'll get that when we take up the significance of what the firstborn means or meant back in those days. And again, this claim that God, when he claimed the, the nation to himself, this claim is rooted or is a pointer back to the Exodus. So now when Moses hears that, consecrate to me the firstborn, both man, man and beast. When he hears that, how does it register in Moses' head? Because at the next verse, he, um, when, he, when, he, when he addresses the people of Israel, he says something different, right? But really, it's an under, his understanding of what consecrate means. What did Moses say in verse 3? Moses said again, Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? By a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. And then it says, no leaven bread shall be eaten. If you skip that part, <laughs> just that first part, he went back to how God saved them in Egypt. Basically, what Moses is saying is that um, for, for Moses, being set apart as God's chosen people, his firstborn, is for the people of Israel to always remember that. To always remember this day. Always remember the salvation that God has given you. Remember how God's power freed you from slavery. And that's what we do every other week. Right? We always remind ourselves, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness in the Lord's Supper. Why do we do that? And I always explain it every time we come up here. Or I come up here every time we do the Lord's Supper. Why do we do the Lord's Supper? It's fuel for us, right? Fuel for faith, right? I know, you, you go out there after the Lord's Supper, you go out there and you face all these trials, it's eating up at your faith. That's, that's what it does. You don't think that God is going to be faithful. You don't think that God's going to come through with all his promises because all these problems are left and right. But God said, no, just keep remembering this because I will be faithful. Maybe not in this life. Well, in this lifetime, it may not seem like it. Right? You were talking about that in uh, Sunday school. Right? You always pray for something. Like, let's say you're sick. You always pray for it. And you pray for healing. Three, three weeks later, you're still sick. For those of you who have lost a loved one because of disease, same thing. You keep praying. God, please heal, please heal, please heal. And they die anyway. Does that mean that God's not faithful? Well, if you, again, if your hope is just seeing healing, physical healing, then yeah, maybe God wasn't faithful because your, your family member died. But if your hope is in something bigger, that God is trying to, convey here and the hope never fades it just you just keep hoping right so Moses after hearing the word of God Moses tells the Israelites first remember this day remember how God freed you from slavery why is that so important um, 
It's important. This, this theme of remembrance, okay, keeps coming up. In fact, if you were to look uh, closer at verses uh, 3 to 16, you should see that there are two parts to Moses' speech. First, the part, uh, first part is concerning the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Second part is concerning the redemption of the firstborn. Now, if you're just a casual reader uh, who would look at this, uh, there seems to be nothing common. What's, what's the relationship between the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the redemption of the firstborn? Looks like nothing, right? But let me point out some things to you. There's a lot of things that are similar with these two passages uh, as far as Moses' speech is concerned. Check this out. Uh, chapter 13, verses 5 and 11. Can you guys read that? So that, that's, that part in chapter 5, that's from the speech regarding the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 11. So what's the similarity? Both the observing the feast and the redeeming of the firstborn has something to do with entrance to the promised land. If, I, I, I was hoping to show this to you side by side, but but do you, you saw that, right? In the Feast of Eleven, right? He talked about the promised land. In verse, ele, in verse 11, in the redemption of the firstborn, promised land. What else is similar to these things? 8 and 14. Verse 8, again, this is from the Feast of Eleven, bread. You shall tell your son, on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Teaching the children. 14. And when it is time to, to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, my strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. From the Same thing. So both of these things have something to do with entrance to the promised land and something to do with what you're supposed to tell your kids. Okay? Last, 9 and 16. Verse 9. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the, Lord, the love of the Lord may be in your mouth. For... With a strong hand, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt. 16. It shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Both of these things have something to do with entrance to the promised land. What to teach your kids. right, And how you were saved. What, you know, that Mark is supposed to remind you of how you were saved. So both parts related to all of that. Both uh, require a visible sign of remembrance. That's why he assigned these feasts. Both of them. So now, how do we put this together? How do we understand this part of chapter 13 in relation to the doctrines of sanctification and redemption? Let me give this to you in big picture first, okay? I'll give you the big picture, and then we'll zoom in later on. So when God put a claim on his people, everyone who's included in the covenant nation of Israel, which includes the slaves and the foreigners who were circumcised, Moses' first statement to the Israelites was, remember that. 
remember the salvation that got you out of Egypt. Now, God's claim, the setting apart of the firstborn, is for the purpose of remembering God's salvation. But God was never, I don't know if you know this about God. His words always become real, reality. Right? His words always become reality. God's words are always like that. Case in point, the 10th plague. Right? God promised Moses, Say this to Pharaoh. If he doesn't let you go, I'm going to send, I'm going to take their firstborn. Did that happen? Yes. Go back to Genesis. Let there be light. There was light. Let there be an expanse. There was an expanse. Let there be, right, waters. Let there be waters above and beneath. Air. It all turned into reality. Right? If you look at, uh, man, I wish you guys would attend prayer meeting. Because <laughs> this is what we're talking about in prayer meeting. That's how God, okay, when he created us, how else is he going to communicate to us? If our reality is here in this, in this realm, we're not in the spiritual realm, how else? Romans 1 says, on the, in the things that have been made, right? Well, who made those things? So all these things, we've been learning this throughout uh, Wednesday prayer meeting. Everything that you see around you should be a pointer back to God. It, it's not supposed to end on itself. Whether that be your family members, whether that be your cell phone. All of those things should be a pointer back to God. And for you to see that, you need a lens. And God, what he's doing here, he's trying to put a lens the people of Israel's eyes so that they can see God for who he is. Right? So these, this, this claiming of the firstborn, this uh, feast of unleavened bread, the Passover, if you keep, continue reading the Torah, there's all these festivals that was uh, assigned to them. They were all for that purpose that they would remember and they would see that God is not just about words. He's always going through. He's always fulfilling whatever he says. Why? Go back to what I said at the beginning. What's the purpose of this whole study? What's the purpose of the whole Bible? For God to, for us to believe in God again. After the fall, started believing somebody else. After the fall, we all came, and we're all starting believing somebody else, especially nowadays. Uh, there's so much information in uh, our phones that we're all believing all these things. It's so hard to, to distinguish what's real and what's not, right? When I was going on diet, I was looking, like, okay, well, what, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to not eat carbs? Am I supposed to eat a lot of fat? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to exercise this much? Am I supposed? And then you hear somebody that's so convincing, you're like, oh. Okay, I'll do it. Then you get sick. What's, how did, why is that? Because there's so many truths out there you don't, you don't know anymore. But what God is saying, you know, there's only one thing that you have to do in order to determine what the truth is. Look back. Look back what I did. See how faithful I am. See how trustworthy I am. Then trust that's what he's doing here. 
same train of thought filters down to the speech of Moses, right? So after saying to the Israelites, remember how God saved you, you are now his. The next set of instructions is how this came to be, how they became gods, and how this will become a reality in their lives. It has to be real. And it, <laughs> you can't just say I'm a, I'm a professing Christian. I hate that word. Everybody's a professing Christian. You, you go down south in the, in the States, everybody and their mother is a Christian. You walk, you walk the streets here. Why? Because Christianity is now equal to you believe in some higher power. You believe in some higher power, you're a Christian. Case in point, the video. Right? There's this spirit of, you know, that, that we should look up to, you know, if we're, if we're expecting to be freed from slavery. What's that spirit? What, what is that? Not, nothing specific, right? But is God like that? Is he vague? No. He's always specific. So God is teaching Moses here, and Moses is teaching the Israelites, God is specific. When he says he owns you, it means he means this. Feast of unleavened bread. He means this. Redeem your firstborn. That's what he means. So now if, if, if that's the case, okay, if Moses' uh, understanding of being consecrated is for him to repeat the instructions to observe the Feast of unleavened bread and to give instructions to redeem the firstborn, how, again, how are we supposed to read this? How are we supposed to put this together? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest this, okay? I'm going to suggest that um, verses 1 and 2, okay, God's speech, and verses 11 to 16, the redemption of the firstborn, are like the bread part of a sandwich. Okay, you know a sandwich? There's two pieces of bread, and in the middle there's meat. What holds the sandwich together? The bread, right? In fact, if you're a burger connoisseur, anybody here burger? Likes burgers? I, I love I love burgers. I was, I was talking to my wife the other night. Uh, I'm like, I remember the burgers that my mom used to make. The burgers that my mom used to make had, uh, you know, crushed up wet bread along with the meat, uh, onions, uh, garlic. I, I don't know if you're talking, you know the, the Filipino burger that I'm talking about? Onions, garlic, the, 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 slop, the, the old bread from the pantry that they put water in or milk it, and then they put it together with the meat, mash it all together, they form a bun, and, and they form a patty, and it's not even a, a, a flat patty, it's like this thick. It's, and, it's, and they put it on in, the, in, the, in the middle of uh, tasty buns. You know tasty? Tasty buns? It's white bread. It can hold the meat. By the time you get to the meat, the bread is destroyed because it can't hold it. There, the, there's too much moisture on the meat for the bread to hold. This, <laughs> this bread can hold the meat. If the verses 1 and 2 and verses 11 to 16 are the buns, they're burger buns. They can hold the juices. And they hold it together. Verses 3 to 10, therefore, is the meat. But for verses 3 to 10 to, to stick, the buns have to hold it together. You get what I'm saying? So the 
Feast of Unleavened Bread, our understanding of it, has to do or has to be supported by God's consecration of Israel and the redemption of firstborn. Has to be. Otherwise, that middle part, that Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's never going to work. It's going to fall apart. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> Details. There has to be. I can't just say it's like a burger and you guys get it. You guys get it? No, nobody gets it, right? <laughs> you want to get it? Come back next week. We're all 40 minutes in. So that's, that's what I'm saying. We only get to one question. But think about that. Think about how God's consecration of Israel to himself, okay, and the redemption of sons, holds together this command to, right, to, to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Why does it have to be like that? Think about that for next week. I hope to see you again. Amen? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. Peace. And give you peace, and give you peace, the Lord and peace.